Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today, you'll enjoy outstanding music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. sing for personal gain others may sing for wealth and fame but I must sing for a higher aim I have a purpose He has redeemed. 
Steve, thank you so much. Does anybody know what this is? This is something that you don't get, I understand, in this country, not quite the same. This is a promise box. I've seen them in this country that they have little cards. But this is a little different because um, each promise here is like a little scroll. And you take it out and you open it up and there's a text from the Bible there. A promise box in our family has always been a bit of a tradition. My mother always had a promise box. And when we were little, before I went to school, my mother would always get out the promise box and say, now John, be a good boy and take a promise. <laughs> she felt that uh, the Word of God had power to make a young person behave himself, and it's true too. Uh, then when I was older, still living at home and went to work, my mother always did the same thing. Every morning she'd say, let's have prayer together and take a promise from God's Word. Then there came a time, this one here incidentally, this is Beverly's promise box, it's lost its lid and it's lost the, the little pair of, of tweezers type of instrument that you use to pluck one of the promises out. But there came a time in my life some 20 years ago, and most of you don't know this, when I became terribly sick. Uh, I had been traveling through the Middle East and I got glandular fever. And uh, I had never been really sick in my life, and I didn't know what to do when I got sick. I felt the only thing one should do when one gets sick is to, if I was jogging for three miles, to jog for six. And so I did this. And I was running two evangelistic campaigns at the time, and because of the stress, uh, I also developed hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar. And my blood sugar would get so low that I would start to go almost into a coma. Then I became, and some of you will understand what I'm talking about, I became through the stress of glandular fever and hypoglycemia and not knowing what was happening to me because I'd always had so much energy to be able to preach and run and so forth. This was a new experience for me to be feeling so weak. There came a time that lasted for between uh, three and five years. I was, had this sickness for three to five years. And then I became very, very depressed. I would drive past a cemetery and I would think in my mind, I wish I were in there. I felt so low. Then through the providence of God, I got over it, but I was sick for a long, long time. And there was a time when Beverly and I felt that we would have to resign from the ministry because we could no longer continue. During that time, when the days were black and the nights were blacker, and there seemed to be no hope at all, I was sustained by the promises of God. Because the promises of God told me that in spite of how I felt, and in spite of the apparent hopelessness of the situation, there was still hope. And on that occasion, I used this little promise box. Every day I would go and I would take a promise and I'd say, God, give me today a promise to sustain me through the day. And today 
I want to share with you some of the precious promises of the Word of God. I would like you to take your Bible, Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, please, if you don't mind. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse, let's start at verse uh, 2, I think. Let's start at verse 2 because this will give us the context. Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now please notice verse 4 and perhaps you may like to read it out loud with me and this will reinforce the, the words in your minds. Verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The Bible tells us that God has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, not just ordinary promises, but the Bible tells us that God has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. And these precious promises will make all the difference in your life as you believe them and as you take them into your life. I was reading just recently uh, a well-known uh, U.S. senator who was commenting on the, on the election promises. And he said, as you know, many promises have been made. For instance, there would be no, no tax on the middle class. But he said we all know that promises are really made to be broken. And he said, a person should never feel guilty if he's made a promise, and then for some circumstance, he decides to break the promise. I thought to myself, how unlike God. I am glad, my beloved Christian friend, that when God makes a promise, he is not like a... <laughs> a politician running for office who simply makes the promise to get the, to get the votes. The Bible tells me that God's promises are absolutely steadfast and sure. Now please take your Bible with me and those who are watching on 3ABN we want to give you just the warmest welcome today. We're glad that you've joined us and we'd like you to go and get your Bible too and uh, please turn to the passages. I want you to turn now to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 19 and 20, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no but in him was what yes everything in Jesus is not yes and no the Bible says it's yes now notice verse 20 for all the promises of God in him what does it say are yes and in him what does it say amen to the glory of God I want you to know today and listen carefully to this that as we look at some of the promises of God, 
I want you to know that the promises of God are all yes and yes and yes and amen. When God gives a promise, the promise of God is absolutely steadfast and sure and you can build your faith upon it. Therefore today, I want you to notice just a few of the wonderful, amazing, steadfast promises of God. We're not going to notice a lot because we won't have time, but I want you to notice some of the most wonderful promises of God. Please take your Bible. Come over now with me to the book of Psalms. Would you please do that? Please come with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm 91 and verse 14 and 15. Now, the book of Psalms is just packed full of wonderful, wonderful uh, promises. Psalm 91, verse 14, it says, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore, what does it say? Say it out loud. I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me. What does it say? I will answer him. Now the next verse. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Now this is a psalm especially written for the person who is in trouble. So if there's a person here today, if you're in trouble, the psalm is for you. If you're in trouble with your business, this is for you. God says, I will be with you in trouble. I will set you on high. I will deliver you. About 20 years ago, I went to Iraq for the first time. I'd been traveling for three days or more in the south of Iraq, which in some ways was even more dangerous then than it is now. Late in the day, I came to a city by the name of Basra. I'll never forget this city. One could almost say it was a forsaken city. There were three of us traveling together, three of us from Australia. We were carrying our suitcases. And when we came to Basra, we had no idea where we could stay or where we could go for the night. And obviously, it would be dangerous to stay out in the streets. The streets were filled with camels and wild-looking Bedouin. And we went to the police station, and I can remember talking to the Iraqi policeman and saying, because he could understand a little English, I said, can you please tell us where we can stay? He said, I have no idea where you can stay. And we did go and look at some lodging houses, but they were so bad, we were afraid for our safety. And I will remember going outside on the main street of Basra, surrounded by a great crowd of Arabs and not knowing where we could turn. And I can remember as though it were yesterday, putting our suitcases down in the center and standing around our suitcases, hoping they would not be stolen, and bowing our heads on the main street of Basra in the south of Iraq and saying, Dear God, we are desperate. Please show us where we can stay. We have nowhere to stay for the night. I would tell you, my friend, I tell, I tell it to you, we were in trouble. It was a dangerous city in a dangerous part of the world and nowhere to stay. 
And as soon as we finished praying and opened our eyes, three men in white, Arabs, in their beautiful white linen uh, costumes, came up to us and said, gentlemen, how can we help you? And I said, we, uh, we are in great trouble. We have nowhere to stay for the night. And we know this is a dangerous city. These three Arabs not only got us a motor car, they took us to the, the only place in Basra where foreigners could stay with safety. As I got into bed that night, I said, we were in trouble and God heard our prayer. God brought us out of trouble. God answered our prayer because God had made a promise. And if there's a person sitting out here today in our congregation or somebody watching on 3ABN and you're in trouble, let me, let me tell you this. God says, I will be with you in trouble. I will deliver you. The promises of God are not yes and no, but the promises of God are always yes and amen. Would you please now come over to another wonderful promise, to the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, and come with me to verse 20. This is a great promise, and it's for you today. Look at it. Now to him, would you please read it with me? Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Would you please look at the verse again? Let me read it again to you and read it with me, please. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. The Bible tells us that our God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. Now here's a promise for a person today in our church who has a sin in their life, and that sin is like a demon that conquers him. He would love to have victory over that sin. He has tried a thousand times to get victory over that sin, but he is completely unable to get victory over that sin. The Bible says that our God is able to do, what does it say? Exceeding, come on, abundantly above all that we ask or think. This is talking about the tremendous, mighty power of our God. My, my mind goes back over the years to uh, Jack Page. Jack Page was an Australian farmer. And when I ran my first series of meetings in the little town of Parks, in the outback of Australia, Jack Page came and his two sisters, and then later his third sister. I remember Mrs. Tasker, Mrs. Spicer, and they were baptized, but Jack was not baptized. And the reason that Jack was not baptized at the end of those meetings was because Jack uh, just couldn't bring himself to be baptized because Jack was addicted to nicotine. 
And if you think that smoking is not an awful thing, my friend, then you've never been cursed by nicotine. Smoking is an addiction the same as, as smoking marijuana or any other drug or taking any, any drug. And when Jack was not baptized because he could not overcome his addiction to nicotine, he stopped coming to church and he became awfully discouraged. And I can remember sometime later I went out to Jack Farm, uh, out to his farm to see him. And walking over the plowed field, and Jack's tractor was coming, and Jack stopped the tractor when he saw me coming. He turned off the motor, and I can remember putting my foot up on the side of the tractor, and I said to Jack Page, Jack, how are you going, Jack? And he said, I'm not going too good at all. And I said, what's the problem? He said, you know what the problem is. He said, I want to be baptized, but he said, I cannot get the victory over sin. And he said, the great sin that is stopping my spiritual progress is the sin of addiction to nicotine. And he said, I would do anything to be free from nicotine, anything. And he said, I have been trying for 30 years. He said, long before you came. He said, for 30 years, I have been trying to get the victory over nicotine. And he said, I have failed every time, and I don't feel as I can ever get the victory. And I said to Jack, Jack, I want you to know two great truths. You can't get the victory. That's the first truth. You can't get the victory because you're not strong enough to get the victory. Because you are a sinner, and a sinner does not have in himself the ability to get the victory over anything. But I said, here's the second truth. We have a God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And I want to tell you something. Jack went home and he got down on his knees and he said, God, I've tried in vain a thousand ways and I can't get the victory. But he said, God, I'm going to say to you, I cannot get the victory. I am too weak. I want you to get the victory for me. And Jack told me a few days later, he said, something amazing has happened to me. I have I have lost all desire to smoke. He said, God has given me. He said, I have not got the victory. God has got the victory for me. It was a privilege a little later to baptize him, to baptize a man who had gotten the victory because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. I want to say to you today, are you listening? you got a problem in your life? Have you got a problem with alcohol or tobacco or marijuana or pornography, that filthy sin that will destroy you faster than any other sin? Did you know that? There is no sin that is more prevalent in this country than the sin of pornography. If a person looks at pornography, it is written, it is certain, it is sure. He's going to destroy himself. He's going to destroy his marriage. He's going to destroy his children. He's going to destroy his own soul. 
And whatever the sin is today that is in your life, I want to tell you today, whatever it is, even if you have tried a thousand times and you have failed, here is the, here is the news. You cannot get the victory, number one, in yourself. But the good news is this. He, say it with me, he is able to do exceedingly, come on, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. And that promise is not yes and no. That promise is yes and yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wonderful. Now, I want you to come over now to another great and marvelous promise. Would you come over here to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19? Oh, these are, these are great promises, wonderful promises. Now, let me tell you folks something else. We're only going to give you today just a, a handful of these precious promises. But I want to tell you something that can give you victory and joy and peace and happiness. Listen to this. As you read the Bible, get a card and write down a great promise. As you're reading the Bible, as you come to one of the great fat promises of the Word of God, write it down and carry it in the motor car. Uh, as you go about the housework, put the card up somewhere on the wall, put it over the kitchen sink, and let this card, let the words on the card get into the mind. And as these great promises get inside the soul, then we discover we are in contact with the great creative force of the universe. We're in contact with the great creator God. Look at this great promise, would you please? Philippians Chapter 4 and verse 19. Are you ready? Okay, say this with me all together. And the people on 3ABN, you can say it too. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 together. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. How many needs? Is this yes and no? No, it's not yes and no. It is yes and yes. <laughs> All of the promises of God, the Bible says they're not yes and yes. They're yes and. They're not yes and no. They are yes and yes. All the promises of God are absolutely certain. You've all heard of Pastor Kulikov, Mikhail Kulikov, who was the president of the church in the ex-Soviet Union. Did you know that when he was sent to Siberia as a young man, just in his early 20s, that God was working to supply his need and the need of a beautiful young Russian girl. Because in Siberia, just a few miles from this concentration camp, there was a little Russian village, and in this little Russian village, there was one Adventist family one group of Adventist Christians. And in this family, there was a beautiful Russian girl. And she would say to her parents, how can I ever have a Christian home? Because nobody in, in this part of the world, nobody here in Siberia is a Christian, let alone an Adventist Christian. And her mother said to her, God will supply your need because she believed in the promises of God that the Bible says, my God will supply all of your needs, even a husband, <laughs> even a wife. 
You see, God will supply all of your need. And one night, uh, while she was sleeping, God gave her a dream, and God said, "I want you to go down the road to the concentration camp because a new shipment of, of prisoners has come in, and uh, I want you to take some food and some clothing and give it to a young Adventist Christian whose name is Mikhail Kulikov, and be kind to him, and smile at him because he's the answer to your prayer." He's going to be your husband. And he was there for five years. And after the five years, they were married. I want to say, listen to you, listen to this today. If you have a special need, perhaps there is somebody sitting here today and they say, I need a partner. I need a, a Christian partner. I need a husband. I need a wife. Uh, this is a great need, and I don't know where I can find such a person in this paganized society. I want to tell you, God has already got the person picked out for you. If you'll only give yourself to him and let God lead you to that person. The Bible says, my God will supply all your need. And if it's a husband or a wife, God is capable of doing this. A beautiful young mother in this church came to me some months ago and she said, I have a need, I have a problem. She said, I'm not asking for money, but she said, I have a need, I have a problem. I want to send my children to a Christian school and I can't afford the fees. She said, apparently, uh, the fees are, are higher than I expected. And she said, I don't know what to do. And she said, I know that we... we in this church, we don't have a lot of money. And she said, would you please pray that God will help me at least to get my children to go to a Christian school. Is that a good prayer? Then she came to me later and she said, I am praying earnestly that God is going to help me to get enough money to send my children to a Christian school. And then she came to me some days later and her face was shining with the glory of God. She said, a member of the church came to me and said, I feel impressed to give you some money so you can send all of your children to a Christian school. She said, my children are now being enrolled in the school because God has supplied my need. Does he answer our prayers or doesn't he? Whatever your need is, Please listen to this. Whatever your need is, whether it is a spiritual need, whether it is a need for a husband or a wife, it, whether it is a need to get money to send your children to school, God has said, I will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Now we have a need, Steve. We have to raise $100,000 for Russia. That's only it's peanuts when you think of what what it'll do and what you think uh, when you think how money is spent in this country and other things. We want to raise a hundred thousand dollars not for horse feed to feed some horses but to save some souls. But I want us to all know, I want us to know this, God will supply that need because he's promised it. We don't know right now where we're going to get the hundred thousand but God has already written out the check. He has. Whatever the problem is, God will supply the need because his promises are not yes and no. His promises are yes and yes. That's what the Bible says. They're certain. I want you to come over now to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verse 25. 
This is the text for the person here today who is worried crazy because of his sins. Isaiah 43:25. Now read this one with me together. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. What does he say? I will not remember your sins. God says, I will get rid of your sins. I will blot them out for my sake. I'll do it because of my holiness and my righteousness. And God says, I will not remember your sins anymore. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? You know why the folks are clapping here? We've got a church full of sinners. <laughs> Glad to hear this good news. Now, I remember when I first left Avondale College, I was sent to the outer Baku, where the churches are few and men of religion are scatty. <laughs> I was sent to Broken Hill. And I worked with an excellent evangelist, Eddie Totnoffer, and he advertised that he was going to preach on this topic. The man whom God forgot. Then he said, I would like to be the man whom God forgot. I thought, boy, what a strange sermon. I don't want God to forget me. The dying thief said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But this man preached a sermon, the man whom God forgot. Would you like to know whom that man is? It is the old man of sin. The Bible says that I have the old man of sin, the old carnal man. And the Bible says that old man was crucified with Jesus on the cross. You see? That is the old man that loves to cheat and to steal and to fornicate and to look at pornography. And that is crooked and, and that is mean and debased. When I come to Jesus, that old man is put to death. And God forgets all about him. My friend, I am glad that God has forgotten all about my old person. Aren't you? Mm-hmm. He says, I'm going to blot out your sins. I'm not going to remember them anymore. You know, there are lots of Christians. They say, well, I'll forgive him, but I won't forget what he did. But God, not only, not only does God forgive our sins, but God forgets our sins. Isn't that good? Now, I'm going to read you what I think is a classical story in the Bible. I want you to come to 2 Kings 21, and we're going to read about the biggest sinner that I know. So he must be pretty big, because I know some big sinners. Turn up uh, the passage at 2 Kings uh, 21, and verse 1 and onwards. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hepzibah. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Now, here's the catalog of his sins. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. What are these high places? Uh, th these were the places where they worshipped the pagan gods, Baal, and where they engaged in immorality. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and you know what a bad man Ahab was, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and ser served them. So he worshipped the stars. 
He also built altars. He built altars where? In the house of the Lord. Mm. Of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. But he put there altars for wicked pagan gods. Uh, verse 6, also he made his son pass through the fire. This is human sacrifice. Practicing soothsaying, he was a spiritist. Used witchcraft and consulted spiritists and mediums. Boy, we would have disfellowshipped him after, after the first thing. He did, and rightly so, he did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set, he even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever and I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. So he broke every commandment that he could find. Verse 9 says, but they paid no attention. And Manasseh, what did he do? He was like a harlot. Manasseh, the Bible says, what does it say? Seduce them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Listen, before we go any further, he did more sinning than the people who lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Can you imagine that? And they were a race of sexual perverts. Manasseh had a good father, Hezekiah, a saint of God, but Manasseh sought with great industry to break every commandment and he broke them more than the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. You'd say a hopeless case. Soon to burn. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke by his servants, the prophets, saying, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has done these what? Abominations. He has acted more wickedly than all the Amorites who were before him and has also made Judah sin with his idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such calamity upon Jerusalem and Judea that whoever hears of it, both his ears will tingle. And let me say this to you. Is there anyone here in church today, now don't put up your hand for this, because the deacons will be after you like a flash. Is there anybody here in church who is as bad as Manasseh? Let's have a look around. See the cameraman coming, but I don't believe it's him. Listen. Listen to me. Here was a man who was as bad, as bad, as bad can be, who violated every one of the laws of God, who seduced the children of Israel to sin, who was worse than the profligates who lived in the debased city of Sodom and Gomorrah and worse than the Amorites. I want to say this to you, that if God's grace could save Manasseh, God's grace can save you and God's grace can save me. Would that be fair enough to say? See, we have picked out the worst, haven't we? And if the grace of God can save this humbug, the grace of God can save us also.
Mm -hmm. If that is so. Now, I want you to come now to Second Chronicles because this chapter here doesn't tell all the story. Second Chronicles 33 and verse 10. This is a parallel passage. It's almost exactly the same as the passage in the book of Kings. But this one goes on a bit further. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people. What does it say? They wouldn't listen. Now if you go and talk to your loved ones and if they're stiff-necked and they won't listen to you, what should you do? Hmm? Well, I guess you better pray to them, but don't give up on them because the Lord hasn't given up on them. Manasseh was so bad that when God sent the prophets to talk to that man and to his counselors, the Bible says they wouldn't listen. So God has a way of getting people's attention. Verse 11, Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the kings of Assyria. God got his attention. Who took Manasseh with what? Hooks. You know what those hooks were? Do you know what they did? I've seen it. I've seen it. They got hooks and they would put hooks in their noses. And he was led to Babylon with a hook in his nose. God can get your attention. Mm -hmm. Even if he's got to put a hook in your nose. They took Manasseh with hooks, but don't wait till you get to that stage. It's better to stop before you get there. Took Manasseh. Some people are so foolish that they keep going and going until God's got to put a hook in their nose. Who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now look at this verse, because I almost think it shouldn't be there. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, but the Lord would not hear him. It doesn't say that, does it? Verse 13 says, And prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. <laughs> Doesn't seem right. I want to ask you this. Is Manasseh going to be in heaven? I ask you this, does Manasseh deserve John to be in heaven? Does he deserve it? He doesn't deserve it. But Manasseh is a prime example of how God saves a lost human being. God does it because of his mercy and his grace. And this man came to God, he repented, he got on his knees, he said, God, I'm sorry that I have been a fool. I'm sorry that I played the fool. And he humbled himself and God forgave him when he was the worst man that Israel had ever seen. You know what God did, the, did with the sins of Manasseh? God took the sins of Manasseh and he threw them into the sea and covered them up with an ocean of the blood of redemption. Now you just listen to this. Let this sink down into the molecules of your mind. Don't be too hard on people who make mistakes and who sin, even in the church. They are not beyond redemption while they still have the opportunity of coming to God. So don't drive them off 
Hear this? Don't drive them off. I want to tell you something else. If there's a person sitting here today in this group and you are depressed and you are discouraged because of your sins, remember, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound, and the Father waits to take you home and to forget your sins. Thank God for the promise of redemption. I want you to come over now a little further to another great promise. Isaiah 41, verses 8 to 10. Aren't these great promises? Oh, man alive. I, Isaiah 41, verses 8 to 10. Great, marvelous, wonderful promises of God. And these promises are not yes and no. These promises are what? Yes and yes. Mm -hmm. Yes and yes. Isaiah 41, verses 8 and onwards. Before we read this text, listen to me, I want to tell you something. This is very, very important that you understand this. There may be some folks who are sitting here today, people watching on 3ABN, and you say, I can't live a Christian life. I can't get the victory over sin. I can't get the victory over all of these terrible vices in my life. I can't get the victory. There's a reason why you can't get the victory. And I'll tell it to you right now. It's because you do not read the Bible. That's the reason. You do not study the Scriptures. You're, you are too indolent to take the Word of God and to read the Word of God. You cannot have victory and be apathetic as far as the study of the Word of God is concerned. I want to tell you, we need to be Bible-reading Christians. This book that you've got in your hands today, this is not an ordinary book, dear people. This book that you've got in your hands today, this is the book of God. This is the Word of God. And there's power in the Word. And when you read the Bible, don't read it like you're reading a novel. Underline the words of God. Underline those words. And commit the words of God to memory. And put them on, on cards. But let the words of God get into the soul. And the words of God have got a powerful transforming influence. The word of God can take a profligate, can take a pervert, can take a person who is debased... The Word of God can take a murderer, and the Word of God has got the capacity to, to completely change the life. Now look at this text here. One of the great, wonderful promises. Uh, verse 8 we're going to start with. But you, Israel, are my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the descendants of Abraham, my friend. You, think of this, Abraham, my friend. You whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called from his father's regions and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you. What does it say? Have not cast you away. Did they deserve to be cast away? I ask you. You go study the history of Israel, Fred, and they were a race of backslidden people, backbiting, criticizing, fornicating, breaking the commandments of God. But God says, I'm not going to turn my back on you. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be saved. That's the mercy of God. Mm. Now verse 10, here is the promise. Fear not, I'm with you. 
Be not dismayed, I am your God. Now say it with me. I will strengthen you. Now the next few words. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I want you to think of the promise here. I will help you. I will help you. If there's a person here today, you know, this is so broad. You've got problems with your children. You've got problems with your business. You've got problems on the left side and the right side, problems with your help. God says in a great blanket statement, I will help you. Mm. Isn't that a wonderful promise? I'll help you. When I was a student going through Avondale, my father gave me his motorbike. He had a, a 1944 Harley-Davidson motorbike. That's why he gave it to me. <laughs> but it was in great condition. And I took that motorbike and rode it all through the outback of a large portion of Australia. Precious days. I'll never forget when this boy, I was then uh, 19 years of age, coming up to my last year at college, when I was out on a, a country road miles from nowhere, uh, just miles from the, the black stump, that as I was going along on the bike, I heard a noise uh, quickly being repeated as though something was loose. I know nothing about mechanics. Uh, I know that you put oil and water in, and that's about it. So I stopped the bike, and I went round to put the bike on its, on its guard. I went round the back of the bike, and there was a nail that was three inches long sticking out of the, of the back tire. I had no tools to take the back wheel off, and even if I had, I would never have got it off. I didn't know how the chain came out and all that stuff. The Bible says, I will help you. That's when you need help. When you're 100 miles in the outback of Australia, and it's blazingly hot, and you've got no tools, and you don't know the wherewithal how to fix it anyhow, and there's a three-inch nail sticking out of the back tire. I got down in the simplicity of my newborn faith and I said, God, help me. That's a good prayer, isn't it? Help me. I often say that prayer, God, help me. Please help me. Help me, God. I need help. God, help me. God, help me. I had a one, I'm sorry, I said I had no tools. That's not altogether correct. I had a pair of pliers. A pair of pliers would just about fix anything. A pair of pliers and a piece of barbed wire. So. I got the pliers and I pulled out the nail expecting to hear the sss as the tire went down. I didn't hear any noise so I got on the bike and I rode it a hundred miles. The tire never went down. I rode that bike for the next three months going hundreds of miles every day in the outback. The tire never went down. God help me. <laughs> Isn't that true? Did he help me or didn't he help me? I didn't help myself. God save that tire on that old Harley Davidson by an act of his gracious will. He did. Now people say those things don't happen. Well, they, maybe they don't happen to you because you don't have enough faith. Maybe they don't happen to you because you don't believe the word. And maybe they don't happen to you because God thinks for you it's better if your tire does go flat. But God saw on that occasion I could do nothing about it. And God helped me. He says, I'll help you. Now I want to show you one other promise. 
if you've got a big problem today, Revelation 21, verse 5 and 6. Revelation 21, verse 5 and 6. If you're sitting there today and you say, oh, I just need someone to help me. I need a little help. God says, I'll help you. I'll help you. And the promises of God, are they yes and no? The promises of God are what? Yes and yes. Not like the promises concerning no, no tax on the middle class. <laughs> Not going to tax the middle class. That's a promise. Mm -hmm. No more taxes. No new taxes. That's a promise. Read my lips. Uh, listen. <laughs> Now, I know I'm getting on dangerous ground in this area of the world, but I want to tell you folks something. When God makes a promise, you can believe it. God doesn't say later on, well, look, I've just discovered there's a bigger deficit than I thought. God doesn't say the universe has got a bigger deficit than I imagined, and there are more sinners out there than I can handle. I've got to change things a little. God says a promise is a promise. And I want to tell you folks something else. Just listen to me, my fellow friends, my Christian friends, a man is as good as his promise. I have a friend back in Australia, Keith Johansson. Keith Johansson for 50 years has done business and has never used a contract or an attorney. He's always done business on the shake of a hand. If he says, I will do it, he does it. If he says, that's a promise, he doesn't need an attorney. You don't need attorneys except to suck the money out of you. The reason why we have so many attorneys in this country is because there are so many people who tell lies. But if you say, I tell you, you can, you can trust me, then if I can't trust you and if you can't trust me when I give my word, it is because we are simply unreliable flakes. That's our problem. We're not genuine. We're not real people. We're humbugs. God's not a humbug. God's not a flake. God is the sovereign Lord God of the universe. And when he says, I give you my word, you can believe it. And his children are the same. His true children are the same. Now look at Revelation 21. I'm going to give you one of the great promises. This is the last one for today. And verse 5. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Now read the words. Come on. Right, for these words are what? True and faithful. These words are true and faithful. You can depend upon them and you don't need a lawyer. You won't have to, I'm not going to try to wrangle out of this or wriggle out of this. My words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Here is the promise. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who what? What a promise. God says, here is a, a promise which is absolutely certain. God says, I'll give the water of life. I will give salvation. I will give the, the gift of everlasting life to any person who thirsts. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? While all the promises of God are yes and yes. Now listen, because you could misunderstand the whole sermon if you miss this bit. All the promises of God are given to those who trust and obey. If you've enjoyed the program today and would like information regarding the availability of video or audio cassette tapes of today's program, 
please write to John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. That's John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Today's program number is on your screen. Your prayer requests and comments are also encouraged. Please pray daily for Pastor Carter and Three Angels Broadcasting Network as they share the truth of the Three Angels' messages throughout the world, especially into the land of Russia. That's John Carter, care of the Carter Report, Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. God bless you.